0: Whether it's audiobooks or all time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclid 200 milligrams at kisqali.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you.
1: You're listening to the Wes and Walker Show. I've got another restaurant we haven't talked about, too. Let me just throw out a little sagebrush for you. Oh, yeah, God. yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's Wes
2: Sagebrush. They used to be in Winston, too. Shout out to Cactus Jacks in uh, Winston-Salem. And
1: Walker. What it's makes no me laugh there. is Fitty being so seduced by some of these restaurants. <laughs> right. Let me throw Sagebrush. Oh, my God. Only on Sports <laughs> Radio 92.7 FM <laughs> yes, uh, Throw the peanuts. Yes, Walker. Sagebrush. Yeah. It's the sound you've waited months to hear. It's caused some of your greatest
3: triumphs. Howard leads. He has it.
1: Touchdown, Carolina. And your biggest heartbreaks. 50. No, he's not. Yes, he is.
2: Theo. for a touchdown.
1: It's the option at Georgia Tech. It's Howard's Rock. The smoke in Miami. Downs leap for the end zone, and he got it. And every Saturday, you tap that sign. is over college football is here
2: welcome back folks as the bells sound over your speakers it is football season officially as college football acc football to be exact starts tonight couple of games on the slate Elon and Wake Forest, NC State and UConn. But we are talking about the North Carolina Tar Heels. Don't forget to hit up that text line, 704-570-9610. We're gonna go down the schedule. You know how we do. We break it down into quarters and tell you what we think the Tar Heels will do in 2023. Walker, I'm gonna let you start this thing off. Let's go through the first quarter of that North Carolina schedule. What do you think?
1: All right. So we start off with the hardest one in this quarter, in my opinion. Pittsburgh's going to be tough, too. But South Carolina, North Carolina, it's a tough one. At Bank of America Stadium, with Spencer Rattler being so inconsistent for the most part, and and maybe even just bad, until we got to the end of the regular season for him and even beyond, that's going to be a big question. Can Carolina's defense get to Spencer Rattler enough to make sure we, we see the bad Spencer Rattler? I think North Carolina wins, and I don't feel good about it. I I don't feel good about it at all. I think the Tar Heels end up getting that victory over South Carolina just because I think Drake May, even with Spencer being good and talented and someone that we thought was going to be in the Heisman mix, it's still been a long time since we've seen that guy consistently. Even with Drake May faltering at the end of last year, I don't think we see that again. Not certainly for that big of a stretch. I think Drake May is coming out hungry. I do expect him to be better this year. And so I'm going to go with North Carolina in the season opener. I have them beating App State. I have them beating Minnesota, too. If you look at Minnesota, they're going undergoing a lot of change on offense. So you're talking about a different QB. You're talking about losing – or excuse me, you're talking about a different running back. They're all-time leading rusher, by the way. No longer there. You're talking about three interior offensive linemen that are gone from last year's nine-win team. So if you think their offense can get one over on the Carolina's defense, th- that's actually going to be one that might be mitigated a little more so. So give me Carolina winning that game. And then on the road against Pittsburgh, hearing a lot of pit hype, Wes. You know, the nard dog, he just keeps churning out winning seasons up there. Showing and proving. That's just how it is. And so that one's going to be tough for me as well. I think on the road, Carolina loses. Give me a 3-1 start to the season. They beat South Carolina. It's a real tone setter. You feel good. They follow that momentum to a 3-0 start. But Pittsburgh, maybe I'm buying the hype. And we've seen Narduzzi do this time and time again. Despite not having the flashiest of players in the world, he turns out winning season. Uh, winning seasons. Pittsburgh gets the win. Carolina starts 3-1.
2: All right, so when it comes to the Tar Heels through the first quarter of the season, I have them going 3-1. and one. When you talk about the South Carolina matchup, this is the 60th matchup between these two. Carolina leads the series 35-20-4. They are 16-9-2 when playing in Charlotte. So I'm going to take the Tar Heels to get it done. I think Drake may playing at home. Even though Carolina's quarterbacks, Marquise Williams, didn't play great when he came home to play <laughs> That's in <right>. Charlotte <laughs> as well. So hopefully Drake May can have better results. Sam Howe also, he played decent when he came here, but they weren't able to come out on top in that game. But I'm going to go with Drake May to break the curse and get it
1: done. Well, Larry Fedora just needs to hand the ball off to Elijah Hood on Saturday, and they'll be fine. Right.
2: Right. Then uh, App, I'm going to go with that. I think App coming off that 6-6 and season, we talked a lot about them uh, not being too sure about the quarterback as of yet, so we got to see a lot more from App before. I think they can take out the Tar Heels. They played a thriller last season. Minnesota, we will see them tonight as well. They take on Nebraska, if I'm not mistaken. They do. Uh, But I think Carolina has enough to beat P.J. Fleck. I think that program is in a state of flux uh, with all the stuff that P.J. Fleck has going on. And then Pitt, again, like you just talked about. I think this team uh, has the magic elixir Especially at home, when you talk about a Carolina offensive line that gave up 40 sacks, four starters are back off that line. Not to say that they won't be better, but this is a Pitt team that had 48 sacks last year, second in the ACC. They're going to be coming and coming big time for. Mr. Drake May, I've got Carolina 3-1.
1: and Alright, so same. First. I thought you might go 2-2. Two and two. I was interested You see if you are going <laughs> to have them go 2-2, two and two, but you stayed true to your word. You didn't have North Carolina losing every single game, and you've got them starting off 3-1. <laughs> and one. Yep, they'll what, get excited about that. Alright, what do we have for the next four? Alright, so the
2: next four against Syracuse, when you talk about uh, again, they come to Chapel Hill, which is always an advantage to play at home, but this is the Syracuse defense that was third last year in total defense in the ACC and then scoring wise they were also in the top six giving up around 23.1 I think defensively they have eight starters coming back on that defense I've got Syracuse coming into Chapel Hill and winning that there Chapel it is Hill, taking an L. then I've got Miami you know what I said I, this year uh, I'm going to drink the Kool-Aid just a little bit I think that uh, Ball is building this team the right way through the trenches. I think they're going to be nasty up front. They've got some really good defensive linemen, whether you talk about Leonard Taylor or Akeem Mesador up front. That O-line is going to be big, dirty, and nasty. So I think that the Canes get the job done there. Then Virginia, I think Carolina beats them back-to-back seasons, got them getting the win there and beating Georgia Tech to go two
1: and two. Okay, so this is when it starts to get dicey for Carolina, according to one Wes Bryant. And I actually might be going the exact opposite direction. So Syracuse is where we'll lead off here. Syracuse is going through a lot of change this season. If you talk about a couple of coordinating handoffs, one on the offense and one on the defense – so the offense, I think, will look somewhat similar, but Robert and I, he's not there. And I value a lot of what Robert and I did, certainly at Virginia. We saw the big definitely old difference. He
2: Schrader looking
1: much better. Yeah, he sure did. And guess what? He did that with Brandon Armstrong, too. Uh, Anais the real deal as an OC. And so now he's in NC State. Syracuse loses him. You lose a couple of defensive leaders on that Syracuse side of things. And we know that Dino Babers only gets up for the Clemson big-time games. I don't know how much he gets up for the other big-time games. I do not have the upset like you do. North Carolina takes care of business at home. And they've got two other home games, three consecutive, right after the first quarter of the season. I heard Josh Graham. We talked with him, too, at ACC kickoff. He joined Mack and Bone yesterday, and he has Miami being the second best team in the conference this year. You really got to buy into Cristobal improving this squad. Cristobal with Tyler Van Dyke. Is he Van Dimes, or is he Van Dreadful? I don't know. I don't know what Tyler Van Dyke's going to do. But I know that they have a better quarterback with North Carolina, and by this time, I'm hoping Chip Lindsey, Drake May, even the defense, I'm hoping they're starting to figure some stuff out. Granted, same thing with Miami, but the fact that this game's at home, I have Carolina winning. So that means they're off to a five-and-one start, and then they beat Virginia. I'm not going to go into that. I just don't expect Virginia to have a bounce-back year. On the road against Georgia Tech, West seems like revenge game to me. think Drake May will be ready to play that game. think so. I really like what they have in Brent Key. Like that, what he did last year, that was pretty incredible. Georgia Tech looked dead in the water, and then he takes over and boom flips everything on its head. And it helped with a win against North Carolina. You have him going two and two. Mm-hmm. Sorry, I'm a homer. Call it what it is. Four and O baby. Four-and-o in the second <laughs> quarter of the season. I've got him starting seven and one.
2: All right. Well, as we finish down the stretch, Campbell, obviously, that's gonna be a big win, big feel good win for them. So that would put them at three in a row and then uh, to close the season losses to duke yeah lost to clemson oh yeah lost to nc state (laughs) to finish six and six we are going so i had to take a second to remember because i know i did pick nc state to beat them for a third consecutive season
1: we are we are going very opposite directions here the last one it's going to look a little more similar though so we do have them both beating campbell that would be eight and one for me but you're right i mean that is a gauntlet no doubt if Mac Brown, if you are going to justify his complaints about the schedule, this is where you look. It's Duke at home, and then it's really even more so Clemson on the road, NC State on the road back-to-back. Because I look at the schedule elsewhere, I just don't see a ton of difference compared to an NC State that has a tough string of games right in the middle of the season. Duke has a tough string of games in the middle of the season. But with North Carolina finishing the year, and then let's just say they're in contention for an ACC championship, you're talking about a lot of pressure. Then you're talking about three big games really in a row. Which is gonna be monstrous. So that that's the only justification for Mac Brown's schedule. Have him beating Campbell. I had North Carolina I'm trying to think what I had with Duke. I think you I don't know who I had winning that game. I think I had North Carolina beating Duke, if I'm not mistaken. I think that's correct. I would love to go back and see. I know you I had think Duke you winning. did too. All right. So I have North Carolina beating Duke. I have North Carolina losing to Clemson, and I know I had NC State winning. So it's gonna to be tough. It's gonna to be tough, but what I have North Carolina doing is winning against Campbell and then Duke and then they drop the final two games of the season. They drop against Clemson, they drop against NC State. So you got them nine and
2: three, eight and four
1: I have them with uh, a t- yeah, I have them with three losses. okay I have them with three losses. The three losses I have are gonna be against Pittsburgh on the road. they okay. start three and one and then eventually they pick up two other losses against Clemson and NC State to end the season. That's what I have. And yeah. that's gonna be
2: tough. It's gonna and then be I tough have end. a finish in six and seven because Drake may won't play in the bowl game and they'll lose. <laughs> I mean, that's realistic. That's no shade. I sure. mean, Drake May's not going to play in the bowl game if they're six and six.
1: I love bagel guy's text because he's so right to call me on this. Can we figure out if all of Walker's record predictions are mathematically possible? Hashtag Homer. It's a great point. And I then
2: how have... do I, the, the, the nine eight on number, how do I sound like a clown for every one of Carolina's losses? I presented you with stats and facts to let you know why I think said team will win. Bless. That defense. Did you go not... into
1: depth? What was
2: your, I did. I said pit for one. They are, uh, they will, the third best or the second best sack team in the ACC last year I said at home they're going to play well and we know Narduzzi's defense they bring the pass rush I said Syracuse was also top three four in the league in total defense but they lost They lost some stuff on defense for sure they got eight guys coming back though yeah but they lost their
1: leaders they have a new defensive coordinator coming in so they still got got some good
2: players but I I, I think Syracuse defensively and then Schrader coming in I think they can get that done I said with Miami I think they're building up front defensively that D-line is going to be a donkey Miami talk about Lezador Leonard Taylor, uh, some of those guys, they brought in a really good uh, linebacker, Mayoga, I think his name was, from Washington State. So I just think up front Miami's going to be able to uh, do damage against the Tar Heels because offensively he's brought in some really big-time offensive linemen. And then I said, you know, Duke and Clemson, those are obvious with the way I feel about Duke and the way I feel about Clemson. And then I said NC State as well. We'll see what their offense is coming with. We know what NC State represents defensively. And they have to go to Raleigh.
1: Um, Fiddy, as much as I understand the answer to this Come question, on. I feel like hearing a compliment here. Whose schedule do you agree with the most? What record do you agree we with know.
3: the most? I mean, it's, it's definitely Walkers because it was credible. Like, West teased going to break. We're going to pick the record, and I'm not going to show any bias. How am I being biased? If North Carolina loses at home to Syracuse, someone's ass better be fired. (laughs) Like it's 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 we have Drake May, the second best quarterback in the country. We're going to lose to Garrett Schrader and Dino Babers
2: and an offensive line that gave up 40 sacks and going up against one of the better defenses in the league.
3: Yeah, I mean, like, I cool. That's yeah, they 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 got defense, great defensive players. If 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 North Carolina loses at home to Syracuse, and y'all have no defense. And so, and then someone should be someone should be fired. Like if you would have had them seven and five, eight and four, like I could see it losing. I mean, they they, they beat Duke last year on the road. You think Duke's gonna come to Keenan and beat North Carolina? I don't. Yeah. I don't think so. I'll say this. If
1: if it goes according to Wes, then you're talking about the other team getting the benefit of the doubt, except for South Carolina in every instance, for sure. And look, I was doing the same thing, right? Like in a lot of different areas, I was more so giving it to Carolina. I gave Pittsburgh that win because I do think Pittsburgh, it's just, Pittsburgh's always going to sneak up on people, and then NC State. I gave to NC State just because Carolina. It's just not. They don't have much success against them. I did have them beating Duke, though. You know, Duke's going to be fascinating, but I do love what they have out there on the roster. So we'll see how it all unfolds. Homer week for the ACC. Walker mail. It's complete. Let's put a bow on this ACC homerism because, uh, yeah, I was I was happy about every single one of these schedules to be honest with you. And that'll be it. All right. Sounds good. West yeah, so, uh, on. Go yeah
2: man. But I just had to, you know, let you know that. No bias at all. I mean, I think they do have Drake May, but there are some holes there. We'll see. That's why they uh, make the predictions, and that's why we are prognosticators. But when we come back on the Wes and Walker Show, more Panthers talk. Scott Spitterer says he's pleased with the help that Bryce Young has. Do we see it that way? We're going to talk about that more on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ.
1: question, Wes. How badly did you want them to be bowl ineligible when you were picking these <laughs> games? Because you were close. I
2: mean, the better the teams are, the the more, you know, I root for the ACC. You know, Carolina's a little bit of an exception, but I'm just trying um, to go back and go off of what I think of the team and their personnel, man, and just, you know.
1: You just said if Lucifer University took on North Carolina, you would choose I Lucifer would, but I still University. don't allow
2: that to uh, get into my psyche when I'm choosing games. I'm going off of what I think of this team and— the personnel that they have, and what they're going up against.
1: If you're just joining us, we just gave our final team predictions. North Carolina team week coming to a close almost. We'll talk about Carolina a little bit more tomorrow to officially end team week. But Wes is uh, having North Carolina experiencing a South Carolina loss to become bowl ineligible. So if they lose to South Carolina and everything else happens, according to Wes Bryan, (laughs) then they're not going to a bowl game. Drake May.
2: There's no winning. I'm looking at the text line now. Everybody thinks I'm being biased. My okay. uncle has always told me I had a gift mm. to be able to be objective about things I don't like. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't like Tim Duncan, but mm-hmm. he's the greatest power forward of all time, in okay. my opinion. Okay. I hated Tim Duncan as a player, as a strictly basketball sports. Hey, I can, I can do that. I can compliment. Carolina has had... Plenty of great players, plenty of great teams, no doubt about it. Just like I said basketball last year, I guess people will miss on the fact when I told Armando Bacon they should win the national championship last year.
1: Yeah, but almost that is actually kind of working. I actually refute that. I think that's working against it because then you're saying now everything they do less – now you get to throw in their face. Armando, you got enough talent. Y'all should win the championship. But then when they miss the tournament, and then you get to say, also, you know, look, this is a team that underperformed. I see, that's <laughs> the oldest trick in the book. That's the oldest trick in the book right there. I can see right through it. Uh, now let's move on to the Carolina Panthers. Let's move on. We'll give you a rest from some college stuff. And then we'll go back to South Carolina and give you final predictions on their schedule. We were discussing the draft history earlier in the show. I saw yesterday... That a lot of people were questioning the draft history for Carolina. I mentioned Mike Kay's tweet. Not a lot of guys picked up. In fact, no guys were picked up after the Panthers cut them Shai Smith, Brandon Smith, Keith Taylor, Stanley Thomas Oliver. All recent draft picks. Nobody got claimed off of waivers. We'll see if anybody gets to a roster now. You look at Jason OTC's tweet, he said the Carolina Panthers are bottom five. With just 39 players in the NFL that started their career, whether it be undrafted or drafted, that started their career. 39 of those players thank the Carolina Panthers for that, while 82 thank the Dallas Cowboys in the lead in that category. And here's Scott Fitterer trying to figure out what kind of talent he needs to put right next to Bryce Young to get the most out of his number one overall draft pick this year. Bryce looked good in the preseason. Bryce looked really good. And it wasn't because the offensive line played well. They were bad. Flat out. Wide receivers. Not a ton of separation. Bryce Young put the ball on the marker with Adam Thielen for the touchdown, especially against Detroit. Jonathan Mingo looks pretty good to me. I will say that. A lot of the Mingo problems were him running the wrong routes, running too deep. But the slant route that she hit, first throw of the game against Detroit, I mean... Mingo was wide open, and it was solely because of what Mingo did. It wasn't I mean scheme, yes, because other guys are running opposite of the middle, and Mingo's the only guy in the middle of the field. But that cornerback wasn't even close to Mingo. Really like what you're seeing from him, Scott Fitterer. With all of that, feels like he did a good job. Feels like the team. He says the team. He does. He's not a eye guy. He said it's a we. He thinks his scouting, scouting department constantly, which I think is really cool. He said, yeah, the Scouts did a great job at putting the best pieces around Bryce Young for him to succeed. Do you think the Carolina Panthers, Scott Fitterer, the scouting department, did a good job of putting enough around Bryce Young for him to be successful?
2: I do think they have in his first season because we talked about how teams generally that pick number one, they pick really, really bad. And. Uh, well, their their personnel is really, really bad. And so for this team, they traded up from nine to one, and they were able to get some guys, which I call it a nice starter kit. I think it's a nice starter kit for Bryce Young. Uh, you're not coming in, you don't have Devontae Adams and and all of these guys all around you to be able to do that. No, but you still have a good, solid set. Now, what we did put into the equation that we really thought was the biggest piece that would play an integral part in Bryce Young's success is having an offensive line that was ascending. We see now the jury is out on that until we see something better than what we saw in the preseason. So I think that's a caveat to be looked at because if they don't come through and play well, then I think you do take a step back in your opinions of what he had to work with. But as far as just on paper right now at receiver, I think he's got a decent set of receivers, not necessarily a fantastic one. He's got a Pro Bowl running back. He's got a solid tight end to get the football to. So I do think he's done a good job of doing that. And I think if the offensive line falters, it's because of some unforeseen uh, circumstances like Ikia Kwanu taking a step back.
1: Well, I'm looking at a quote right now on the wall from Colin Hoggard. Fiddy likes to reference it. He also made a change to it, I believe, earlier this week on the producer show for Charlotte Sports Today. The quote is, every season is a journey. And Fiddy amended it to, every preseason is a journey. That's what I'm experiencing right now, especially as it pertains to the offensive line. Because Scott Fitterer even said to media today, once we get continuity back in there, once we really get ready to go, get back into a rhythm, we're not switching guys all over the place. Once these guys get back out there, he thinks it's going to make a big difference. Now, I still have some problems with what Icky showed, but I could hear that. I mean, it's not like that's a crazy excuse, right? I understand it. You go back to the preseason. I was listening to the Mina Kimes podcast featuring Lenny, of course, and they were discussing the team draft. Actually, they had Mike Golick Jr. on. Mina Kimes did a couple of days ago. I heard both of them talking about the Carolina Panthers preseason in regards to Bryce, and they were discussing how, one, how great the Jets' defensive line looked against any offensive line they played this year in the preseason against Carolina, everybody was doing great. You look at PFF, and you look at some of the grades of the best individual in interior defensive linemen out there. Jefferson was a monster. We know Quinn and Williams is going to be a monster anytime he's out there. Will McDonald looks fantastic as a rotational guy. The Jets might have, if you want to argue San Francisco has a better defensive line or whoever, okay. But the deepest Jets look like they have the deepest defensive line where they're just churning guys in and out it doesn't matter they don't have a drop off. They have a first round pick at Will McDonald who isn't going to start this year. They've got great depth and
2: Jermaine Johnson is also a backup that was a first round pick. Okay. 2 years ago.
1: Right. So if the Jets starters are beast and their depth is fantastic, okay. Like you're you're measuring Carolina's offensive line against that unit. You go to the Giants. Leonard Williams one of the better defensive linemen measured by pro football focus in the preseason on like 12 snaps. Giants didn't play their starters a lot. Dexter Lawrence dude got paid for a reason. Dexter Lawrence had among the better pass rush grades of anybody this preseason. Now, some of that is combated by it happened against Carolina. Carolina, And it was strictly against Carolina looking so bad. So, okay, maybe that one's a wash. (laughs) And maybe I'm not going to point to Dexter Lawrence being such a beast. Bradley Bozeman should do better. At the same time, we know how good Lawrence is, especially U.S., covering the ACC for so long. My point is, I think there is something to the offensive line. Just getting to the regular season, finding some continuity again, Savala having a lot more snaps under his belt. Because right now, you've had somebody out there with the starters that is. That doesn't even have that many practice reps with them. And so I get that. We need to see Icky play a lot better. You're going to get the Atlanta Falcons defensive line, which has better talent on it. But there's far better defensive lines out there in the NFL with the Saints. Cameron Jordan's getting older. One of the more underrated pass rushers of the last decade, but also not what he was five years ago. I think the offensive line is going to perform a lot better. And I'm hoping that they perform a lot better at the beginning of the season
2: i appreciate your optimism for sure and i'm not saying that they're going to be a terrible group i just think there's something going on there there's some red flags there with this group because as i said i i I keep going back to the fact that athletes in their careers it's all about how you respond to adversity in a lot of cases and so i just felt like after that first game when everybody was up in arms and this team knew the scrutiny and we talked about it and the, the emergency meetings and things of that nature and the performance still didn't improve enough. And so when you give me a three game sample to show me what you're doing and you've already been put into the, the, the furnace, so to speak, to feel that fire from the fans, to feel that scrutiny of people saying you guys don't look that great and you still don't look that great. I just can't say they're just going to flip a switch, man, because offensive line is too physical, it's too violent of a position. You have to have a mindset. You have to have the chemistry. You have to have the want to. And also, yeah, the technique and different things like that to be able to come out and dominate or to play even above average football, because that's what we want from this group. We want them to play above average to great football. So I can't just say they're going to come out there against Atlanta and everything's just going to click and they're just going to start just dominating because Calais Campbell sitting there on that defensive line, Grady Jarrett's sitting there on that defensive line as well. And so uh, I think this is a group that I want to be optimistic about, but based off what I've seen so far, I think there are some fundamental flaws there. Uh, that have the opportunity to be exposed. So uh, I think that this group at this point, they've got some time to maybe be able to right the ship to an extent. But I can't say right now that I trust this offensive line as much as you do.
1: Well, I mean, I yeah, there's certainly some questions, but let's dig a little deeper, right? Because you're saying you're seeing some fundamental problems here. Yeah. You're seeing some things that really scare you. Mm-hmm. Iki Iquanu is the one. That's the one I go to. The secondary concern I have is right guard. Not Austin Corbett. Icky goes to the top because he's the highest invested draft pick. Mm -hmm. Your sixth overall pick has to be a left tackle franchise guy. The problem in the preseason is there. Hopefully that changes. But at right guard, I think a little more leniency with Austin Corbett being gone the first four games. Now, it's all said and true that it doesn't matter what's happening at right guard. You want your rookie quarterback to be protected 100%. But Zavala is just getting his feet wet here. Okay, that's fine. Wes, you look at Brady Christensen... His pass-blocking grade was just flat-out good, according to Pro Football Focus, not once, not twice, all three games. He got a pass-blocking grade in the green against the Jets, against the Giants, and against the Detroit Lions. Now, his run-blocking grade wasn't good the first two games, but that's not uh, that's not equating two hits on Bryce Young. Bradley Bozeman got dominated against Dexter Lawrence. But we know Bradley Bozeman is already a better run-blocker than he is pass-blocker. And I trust Taylor Moten to figure it out because there's more evidence to suggest that he does, given his track record, than not. And so the two concerns are Icky had a bad preseason. No doubt. Do you trust him to figure it out? And then right guard, can you find stability enough to get you to Austin Corbett once you get to week five? Those are my offensive line concerns if you want to dwindle it down to the specifics.
2: Uh, yeah, so uh, to piggyback off of that, because when you look at the overall grades, there weren't any offensive linemen that you really, really felt excellent about, especially from an overall performance. I mean, Brady Christensen uh, was the highest graded starter at 70.5 uh, when you look at it from an analytical standpoint. but I His
1: think run blocking he, held him back. He, it did, yeah.
2: And, I mean, you do got to run block, too, you know, as an offensive line. But if we're
1: talking about protecting Bryce Young. <laughs> yeah, for sure. No, but, but, well, I mean, no, you're right. Like, I— yeah, run blocking, you want them to be better. This yeah. was a better, the run blocking last year is where they really hit their stride. They yeah. were, that's. A, there's a reason Deontay Foreman and Chuba Hubbard, running backs that aren't as good as Christian McCaffrey, were performing yards per carry as well and better yeah. than Christian McCaffrey. So you're right, Christensen wasn't good at run blocking, but let's get real. We're talking about pass blocking here. We want them to protect Bryce Young, and Christensen is someone that we consider a weak link, even me. I consider him probably the weakest of the starters, and yet Christensen, if we want to get down to the details, Christensen wasn't as bad as Icky, as Savala, who's starting to get his feet wet, as we mentioned, and maybe some others. I I think that's a good sign, to be honest with you, if he's out there pass-protecting better than some of the other times that he has.
2: Yeah, I I mean, I think so. It's just when I look at the grade and the lack of balance, there when you talk about a low run grade, I mean— because we saw in the Giants game, I think it was. Uh, no, I think they had three runs where they were stopped in the in the first half. Chuba Hubbard was stopped three times uh, for a yard or less. And so I'm just saying that, you know, you open yourself up more when you're not able to run the ball because then you're going to put Bryce Young in more passing situations, especially the longer the distance, the longer he's going to have to hold the football. And how much do we trust these guys of what we've seen so far? If Bryce Young has to hold that football to be able to get it eight, nine, ten yards on a third down, so that's the thing. I'm going to hold out hope for them for sure. It's just based off what I've seen, and and just when you talk about just the ability to just go in and be like, all right, we're going to hit the switch and we're going to be balling now. Like that's not an easy that's not an easy turnaround. Is all I'm saying. But I'm going to hold out hope for this group that they that they can
1: get better. No, you're you're right. I just think when so I think when you throw out the offensive line was awful. You think everybody across the board was just atrocious, right? But I don't think that's necessarily the case if you start to really pay attention to every single one of these offensive linemen every game. The real problem is Icky was not good in any game that he played in the preseason. He just flat out was not. And that's a real thing. And you would like him to be maybe the best. (laughs) You would love for him to be the best. Bradley Bozeman actually had good pass blocking numbers, except for the Giants, where it could not get any worse. That's there's a thirteen. Dexter Dexter Lawrence uh Dexter Lawrence dominated Bradley Bozeman as much as I've ever seen on that kind of snap count. Any interior defensive lineman destroy an offensive lineman. Like it was bad. But the other two games against the Jets on eleven snaps against the Detroit Lions on twenty two, good pass blocking numbers for Bozeman. And then you get to Taylor Moton, all three. All three in the green. I it's 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 icky changing. It's Icky picking up where he left off last year. And it's the right guard finding some stability. You fix those two things, I'm good. Can't ask for much more than that. That's when I'll feel good about this offensive line going forward. Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. It's Wesson Walker. Time now to send it to the second Fitty Flash of the day.
3: fitting another day in the NFL another record-setting contract this time in the forms of Titan, uh, Vikings tight end TJ Hawkinson who signed a four-year 68 and a half million dollar contract extension that will pay him an annual average of 17.1 million dollars and there's 42 and a half million dollars guaranteed in the deal and Wes you brought this up in a break you know the Chiefs already have one guy that they got to figure out how they're going to give a, a big contract to. You got to imagine Travis Kelsey will want to go back to the, the to the table and demand more money as he is the best tight end in the National Football League.
2: Yeah, you're already hearing that he's been griping a bit about the money that he's being paid. So yeah, to see a guy like Luke Hawkinson bring in that type of cash, if I'm Travis Kelsey, I'm looking at that like, hey,
1: I need a new bag. Yeah, I don't even know when he <laughs> signed his last deal. Don't know if it's early enough maybe it is but it will be interesting because we know how kansas city right now has a chris jones problem chris jones is ready to miss some serious time in order to rework his contract pat mahomes has taken less money before yeah, kelsey's at fourteen three. three what's it what's kelsey doing right now and how far is it in the contract uh
2: oh yeah you know, he won't be a free agent until 2026 is undrafted I mean not undrafted
1: unrestricted okay so, so it's a little it's a little ways out I, I don't know if Kelsey renegotiates this time plus Kelsey's older he's 34 yeah he's an older tight end but it'll be interesting to see how Kelsey reacts to all of this all right one more segment to go before we get to the last hour you know what that segment is it's a staple baby fire or fizzle coming up next mm. Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. fizzle Wes and walker sports radio 92.7 wfnz we had a lot of acc topics to choose from we had week one matchups we probably had some food topics in there there were a lot to get to but west decided to focus this time on acc pre-game traditions gonna get you ready for some of the acc action we get this weekend even tonight NC State, Wake Forest in action. Wes will be there at the Wake game, and he's here right now to give us the goods on fire or fizzle. ACC pregame traditions. First one, we lead off with Clemson. Howard's rock. Wes, fire or fizzle. Mr. Brian.
2: Well, this started when legendary coach Frank Howard was given a massive rot from Death Valley, California, back in the early 1960s and sat in his office for years until Ipte Executive Director Gene Williman placed it atop a pedestal in 1966 at the top of the East End Zone on the hill that the team runs down before entering Memorial Stadium each home game. The legend says Howard actually asked Williman, to throw the rock away. The next year, the team started rubbing the rock for good luck in the season opener and have been doing it ever since. The crowd comes to a rolling boil before each game, while the Tiger players gather atop the hill for the word to charge down to the field. Many have called it the most exciting 25 seconds in sports. They have a great hype video with Ben Bowen saying all types of stuff that accompanies this, that is lit. You're talking to a man who walked up to said hill before the matchup with Clemson, before we lost in overtime, and told him, get y'all bleeps down here so we can whoop your bleep. But when it comes to college football traditions, ACC traditions, the Clemson Tigers, rubbing Howard's rock, you hear it on the intro for Team Week. It is straight fire! One of the best intros in all the
1: sports! Wes pleases the Clemson fans that were texting in anticipation. It was actually pretty funny. I don't know if we've had that many (laughs) during a fire or fizzle declaration before, but all the Clemson fans are happy that you gave fire to Howard's Rock. Next one up. I think it's my favorite. I think. I really don't know. But the next one is Virginia Tech and Enter Sandman up there in Blacksburg. Metallica playing, getting you juiced for a football game. It's not my game, though. It's not my segment. Wes is Enter Sandman, fire or fizzle. Well, there isn't a lot of history or tradition with this interest when you talk
2: about Virginia Tech. But in 2000, after playing the BCS title game the year before, Virginia Tech put up a massive new video screen, outsourced the pregame video production, and the powers that be in Blacksburg had to pick a song and they chose that one, Inner Sandman by Metallica. Besides the signature entrance music, the players also gather in a long tunnel from the lockers to the field and slap a slab of signature hokey stone before emerging into a frenzied lane stadium. This entrance also requires a very long walk. I've cut up a lot of video. I've seen the behind the scenes. They take a nice little journey before they get to the tunnel and the crowd is rocking. So when you talk about the entrance of the Virginia Tech Hokies, every time you hear enter Sandman now, you don't think about the actual band. You don't think about the success of the song if you're a football fan. If you're a football junkie like me, you think of one thing and one thing only, and that is Virginia Tech. And that entrance to Inner Sandman is straight
1: fire! Kyle was just, I mean, Kyle Bailey just came in here and hooked us up, so I had to give it a fire. Uh-oh, did he change a fire or fizzle declaration? I did because oh, Wake right. always loses oh. in Blacksburg. I was going to give it a fizzle, but KB came through, so I had to give it All a right. fire. All right, Kyle, changing, changing the <laughs> opinion of Wes. We appreciate it. We're no, it is up. fire,
2: though. It's fire. No question about it. I,
1: I mean, real quickly, I've heard a lot of people go to Blacksburg for that. I've heard 10 times better things i'm not saying it's for everybody but i've seen people experience howard's rock they love it but when they go to blacksburg and they talk about it i and mean man, they it's do different. a great
2: job of building it up they they make it epic because they it's it's the you know they 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 gas it they yeah. play the intro for a while they let the crowd whip themselves into a frenzy and
1: then they come out they don't just automatically like they build it up perfect it's secondary opinions but i digress i've heard people talk about it very differently Next one up, different tech, Georgia Tech, Ramblin' Wreck, so many X. Tell me, Fire Fizzle. When you talk
2: about Georgia Tech and the Ramblin' Wreck, it's a 1930 Ford Model A sports coupe that comes across Bobby Dodd Stadium at historic Grant Field. The Yellow Jackets, faithful, they love it. They go hands. Bearing the same name as the student body population, the Ramblin' Wreck has been leading the football team into home games since 1961. With cheerleaders draped all over the sides and crisp white wall tires, we're the Dungeon family. The car is not only an amazing college football tradition, but it's also a very, very beautiful old car. (laughs) But what do I think about it? the georgia tech rambling wreck is straight fizzle get they just no love i home. think it's not uh, that great i mean yeah i get the tradition but
1: okay i mean there's not a lot of people saying hey you got to go check out the rambling wreck thing i just i'm <laughs> telling you i haven't heard it a lot don't get mad at me get mad at the people that told me the other two <laughs> pregame traditions are lit the other one haven't heard a lot of fire about it this one i have though florida state Video <laughs> with the sagebrush <laughs> sigh in the background. Florida State, Chief Osceola, going into the stadium. Yes, walkers. Yes. horseback <laughs> throwing the spear into the field. I'm done, Wes. You take you take over. Just go ahead and tell me it's fire and get it over with. The planting of the
2: spear at Dope Campbell State is one of college football's biggest traditions. Osceola and his Appaloosa horse renegade are Mm. the official symbol of the Florida State Seminole. And they both ride out to midfield before each home game to slam a burning spear into the 50-yard line logo. With the support of the Seminole Tribe of Florida, Osceola has been making his pregame journey since 1978. This is another pregame tradition that gets the other team involved because the other team they get hyped to. So when West Bryant and the Demon Deeks went down to Doke Campbell and Osceola did his entrance, we were hype as well. But we also followed that up with some expletives. And we're about to bleep you,
1: bleep up, bleep your tradition. Mm, dump button, dump button, dump button.
2: But at the end of the day, Osceola and Renegade, FSU, slamming the spear down. You hear the crowd. They go, ooh, and he slams it into the ground. That tradition is straight fire. It might be the best in college football. I'm going to keep it 100.
1: Are you going to keep it 100 here, though, is my question. Wake Forest. Open the gate. <laughs> I'm going to let people open up the text line and see what if just how objective you're going to be. Your uncle said that you have a great ability to keep it 100. Do you keep it 100 here with your alma mater?
2: One of the biggest traditions at Wake Forest is opening the gate, where a famous alumni leads the team onto the field on a Harley. Past honorees include sports legends such as Arnold Palmer, Tim Duncan, as well as other alumni who have accomplished great things in their lives. I've been trying to do this for the last couple of years, and they keep telling me no. (laughs) Keep your eyes peeled, as you never know who will open the gate at the next Demon Deacons home game. So when you talk about sitting there waiting at that gate, waiting for it to open, screaming, let me out. That's what we used to yell when we were standing back there waiting for the war to commence, yelling, let me out of this cage. I'm ready to go. The deke fires up the bike. You run onto the field and it's lit. When it comes to Wake Forest and opening the gate, it
1: is straight Fizzle
2: because they won't let me do it. I figured, Until they let me do it, it won't be straight
1: fire. I know Wes a little too well these days. I knew as soon as he said that, oh, this is going fizzle. He wants to do this badly. <laughs> they haven't let him do it. He's going to say this is all fizzle, and that See, will do See, look it. at that. Look at that. I need you to cut that music off. I need, I need the command. I need you to berate Fitty to tell him to do something before we can end this segment. That'll do it for fire and fizzle. We have one more hour to go on a Thursday. It's all still to come. South Carolina team week predictions. Weston Walker sports radio, 92, seven WFNZ.